This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics, and we promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Brad Orlonsky, SVP Product and Sales at Bengo. Brad, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Art, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Terrific. Thank you for coming, Brad. All right. You know, uh, in every industry, there are periods of slow growth when the changes are slowing, moving very slow. Uh, on the other hand, there are very rapid ones when companies have to adopt quickly and deal with the consequences of those changes to keep up their business afloat. Last April, Apple finally released its ATT framework. ATT stands for App Tracking Transparency. That implies for app marketers to be able to track app users across multiple apps, they need to ask for permission first. This February, Google introduced its privacy sandbox for Android with a similar function. All in all, today we've got two major mobile platforms that have drastically changed the app tracking landscape. This is the topic of my conversation today with Brad. But before anything else, Brad, please tell us about your background. For sure. Uh, I have been in the mobile app industry for over 15 years by now. I kind of lose track after a point. Uh, always in the growth marketing side of things, monetization, um, user acquisition. Prior to that, however, I was actually in the music business. I'm, I'm from Los Angeles. I live in San Francisco now, but I, I used to work in at, at various record companies, Universal Music and, and Warner Music. But I've made the transition from, from music to software and then eventually to mobile app marketing where, where I am now. And it's been keeping me um, extremely engaged, constantly learning. And you know, to kind of bring it to the top, to the points that you were right. just making, it's been a wild ride very recently. So much has changed so quick. And I think everyone's kind of playing catch up. That's interesting. I think you're the first guest on the show who came from the music industry to the app, mark, app marketing. So yeah. I think you still have this, the thing in your soul for music, right? 100%, 100%. But I will say that the music industry went through, faced some real existential threats and for a while really did not recover well from it, which is part of the reason I, to be perfectly honest, left. Uh, our industry cha- faces, I, I don't know if they're quite existential, but there's definitely really, really big challenges. And uh, navigating through them, coming up with creative solutions and unique approaches is what, what I've been focused on in my career, for the, especially for the past few years. Yeah, I think I, I can still remember vividly those um, huge problems music industry used to have back in the days when iTunes didn't exist. It was, you know, every music record was pirated by somebody. And uh, yeah, the story is that, you know, iTunes kind of saved the industry, but there's a flip side. Not every record these days are happy with that, but that's a long story. And um, definitely it was an existential crisis back in early 2000, I guess prior iTunes became the thing. Okay, uh, tell us about Bango a little bit. What you guys do at the company? Bango is a company based in uh, the UK, in Cambridge, England. Been around for 
over 15 years also, public traded on London Stock Exchange. The primary business of Bango is as the payments processor, payment gateway that allows companies and vendors to push transactions, mobile transactions to a carrier billing, like go to your, your mobile phone um, your mobile phone bill, like your Verizon or AT&T bill, mm -hmm. instead of your credit card. That's Bango's primary business. It's a little more complicated than that, but, but in, from very high level, that's the business. Part of that processing is that we see and process a lot of in-app payment transactions. We are able to take those in-app payment transactions, anonymize them, segment them, and build them into custom audiences, which we then make into what we call a Bango audience. The, these Bango audiences are deployed on Facebook and offered to other mobile app advertisers who want to find payers in their apps, not merely new users. There's a lot of places to find new users in your apps, a lot of wonderful ad networks, social network platforms, very few places that offer product that actually allows you to find payers. And at the end of the day, these mobile app apps that are monetized with mobile in-app transactions need to find payers. That's what we provide. That's what Bango audience, that's what Bango audience is. That's what Bango does. My role at the company is to oversee the product and sales of that product line. So you're essentially provide the people uh, the like the ultimate goal of every marketer find the people who actually are willing to pay for a specific product because they're paying for similar ones so you, yeah, you don't have whole, to look mm -hmm. go ahead the notion is that if you are make a payment in one app you have a highlight higher likelihood of making a similar transaction in a similar app this is just sort of nature across not just your in-app behavior it's across all all behaviors of, of any purchase this is a category that i don't know if we've pioneered it but we are definitely leaders of it. It's purchase behavior targeting. It's a, a method that allows us to create a product, a Bengal audience, mm -hmm. built on purchase behavior rather than things that you like, things that you search for. Instead, it's things that you've bought. The, it, it just it makes sense again in all aspects of one's normal life, and then certainly is mirrored in your in-app behaviors as well. Right, because interests they may not be that consistent. They may be temporary but if you're paying for something if you're basically voting for a specific thing with your money means that your interest is explicit as and can, can be so that's the good indicator that these people are essentially interested in this kind of app and this kind of product that, that's exactly right it's, it's a new signal that, that we use to build a marketing product on all right uh, okay, straight to the major question of today's conversation. How privacy changes are hurting app marketers today? What's going on? It, it's really the topic that everyone's been talking about in, in for a while now, that you characterize the changes that happened in 2021 as all of a sudden Apple made these changes and Google made these changes. But in fact, it's kind of been brewing for a long time. And yes, the, the iOS 14.5 release codified it and made it very, very real, though there was a lot of um, lot, lot of flags and signals that this was coming. It's a double-edged sword, I think we can say. It's good for the end user in the sense that it gives you more privacy and control over your own data. It's bad for mobile marketers that use these signals to send you really good ads that you may be interested in. So it's, it's really complicated, the situation. Um, 
it's how we are all responding to it that I think really makes the difference. I mean, if you really want to get cheeky about it, we can kind of think of, you know, this is as a, as a app marketing apocalypse, right? Not an apocalypse, like in the end of the world situation, but an apocalypse, which is a, yep. one of our marketing campaigns where everything that we have known before has changed and users that we could not find, users that we could find before have turned into zombies. They're unrecognizable. They're hard to find. They're hard to get into your apps. And part of this uh, privacy change, you can, you can kind of extend the analogy that there's actually four horsemen of this apocalypse. Cookie mm -hmm. deprecation, iOS IDFA deprecations, general, more, uh, general government regulation towards privacy regulation, and then the consumer itself, him or herself, who are just more conscious and aware of privacy regulation. So yeah, there's there's really four pillars of this apocalypse that we're all navigating, not just Bango, all marketers. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely hurting th those uh, marketers who want their apps to get found, installed and draw in payers. So yeah, this is what's happening when there is a very established uh, system, people rely on these signals about what's relevant uh, for a specific user using these signals because there was a tracking, okay, people are taking specific action in one app, then he moves on to, to the next, and there is a connection, and you can build a profile of what kind of um, interactions people have with specific apps. And having this information, you can launch your acquisition campaign, knowing that, uh, okay, this is the interest of my audience, and um, I can, calculate, I can predict uh, ROI for my campaign. There are signals that were kind of a taking as granted, like, and the people felt it's gonna be like this forever. Like, uh, but we knew that Apple, had, like there were early signals, like you've said, but um, I mean, last year, I mean, it was just the, um, like a final step. Okay, it's no, it's no more about the future, it's happening right now and you have yeah. to deal with that. So let's talk about a bit of a background, the whole situation. So um, nothing in this life really comes out of a thin air, uh, out of nothing. There's got to be a reason behind it. So how did, how did we get here? Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. I think that there has been a real Wild West approach to mobile marketing. I mean, this is not a new industry. This is not three years old. This has been really going on for 15 plus years. And there's been phases um, around that. The, not to go too far back, but when, when Facebook really sort of exploded on the scene as a, as a viable platform for marketing, they really let anything go. And I think a lot of people grew fat and lazy around just viral marketing campaigns that allowed advertisers to um, find a ton of users at very low cost. As tracking improved, we could find which channels were delivering best results and, um, and, and pull away from the networks and, and services that didn't offer high quality, high ROAS users. Um, Again, it's not just a matter of a low cost per install. It's a matter of, of really getting your, your return on ad spend as high uh, and, and as quick as possible. Then with, um, with the sort of re uh, revelations of, of how deep and how much information these ad networks have about ourselves, have about us as individual users, I think people became a little bit concerned and, and perhaps uh, 
frustrated that, that some of this data was, was abused. And that was, I guess, the beginning of the end. This is the question, how did we get here? Where all of a sudden, a lot of people became aware of how much information was available about us that we volunteered to give up and really right. how smart, how smart Facebook is about uh, the data that, that we provide. And again, it's not just Facebook, but they're the, uh, you know, they're, they're, they are the gorilla in the room on this kind of thing. It's, it, it makes me, you know, the best way of thinking about this is people always worry about is my phone listening to me or is Facebook listening yeah, yeah, exactly. to me? Sometimes, sometimes I get an ad that's so eerily on point and I don't think Facebook or my phone or anything is listening to me. I just think that their algorithms are so darn good that they know and can predict so much about our behaviors even before we realize it. And that is, again, another double-edged sword. I really, I, I live in San Francisco and I don't want to get ads for New York Yankees. I want to get ads for the exactly. New York Giants, for the San Francisco Giants, right? Um, so... I appreciate when the ads are targeted to me and, but the reason that works is because the algorithms work and that's, that's the other side of this. I think as uh, somebody from our audience watched the movie, a social dilemma, I, they should have a pretty good uh, right. picture of what's happening. Like um, we, this is what happening when there were no any regulations in the beginning, like you've said, just a wild, wild west. Um, we were not aware that that information was collecting about us. Um, people were just very thrilled about the functionality of Facebook, uh, how great it is for you know, communication and the ads were really nice. There, you can see something that was relevant to you. You, People wrote like in masses, they didn't realize how exactly it's working. Like what was the reason behind this uh, high efficiency? Right Now they know and um, yeah, they know, they understand that that much of information that it gave away and may not be, you know, in their best interests. And there's a there's a real dilemma. You do want to get the ads that are relevant to you. This is like not only we guys, like on the advertising side, are are aiming for, but people like wouldn't want to have something that is totally irrelevant to them. But to the best of our knowledge, it's the best way we have to achieve this high efficiency is to have some good chunk of data about you, your interest to be able to build that system the way that highly relevant to you. That's right. All I, right. I, I, I really agree it's, with this. I, I, don't, I don't think, I don't feel that way just because that's my industry. I just want a, a good experience when I'm using Facebook, when I'm using you, when, when, I'm, when I'm watching videos on YouTube. It, it's, it, it's just sort of the way advertising works and it makes for a better experience. Absolutely. Um, so, Obviously, there's got to be some recipe for our marketers, what they should do right now. What would be their way out of this situation? How they should move forward? Right. So I think that the, the way out of it implies that there's a problem. And the problem is the challenge of finding the right type of user for your product. And the reason why that's a challenge is because the connection uh, that was provided by the IDFA is mm -hmm. now been broken. So that's the problem. If you are using, if you being an advertiser, or we're using a product that tracked users based on IDFA, you're in, you're in, not in trouble, but you're facing this new challenge. This is why we are advocates and proponents of purchase behavior targeting. It's Bango audiences uses it, but we're not the only notion. We're not the only product or the, or the only company to, to use this, this notion. Um, it is really important to embrace 
tracking or measuring or finding your users based on their purchase history. To the extent you can, to the extent you have access to it, to the extent you want to use our product, that's a really viable way out of this. Using other signals that are not dependent on IDFA or other uh, or other tracking. All right. So yeah, that's um, that's that's the essence of what's going on. The um, there's got to be um. Well, there's got to be a middle ground. We don't want to give up uh, tracking uh, using you know signals using um, information about users at all. Um, otherwise, the the advertising will collapse in terms of efficiency. It will be rolled back back into I don't know late '90s, early 2000s. But on the other hand, knowing that so much information being being accumulated about people, there should be more. Um, thorough approach how the information was stored uh on the side of facebook on the side of google on the side of advertisers marketers the situation kind of reminds me what was happening when facebook introduced facebook pages people always all of a sudden thought that okay i'm just going to give up creating my own website uh just um stop using uh, uh, somebody's hosting account um just relying completely on facebook Later, they realized that well, there is a flip side in the from in from the for this coin, and it's not that rosy as they thought as the beginning. Uh, giving giving up creating your own solution, uh, taking care of yourself about your website, and just relying on a Facebook page wasn't that great idea. Later on, when the Facebook advertising uh, took off, people started relying on Facebook as a great provider of third-party information. And like you've said, we we became really lazy um, in terms of um, we've kind of offloaded that uh, heavy lifting on Facebook and thought, okay, this is going to be just our third third party provider for ages. Right now, we have to you know kind of back to back to uh, drawing board and realize that the best way, the more sustainable, the more the long term way, is actually rely either on some provider that that like. Um, there, there are other companies on the market, not, not just Facebook, in terms of gathering data and uh, providing advertising platform. Uh, that's, it's just a matter of more thorough approach to data uh, gathering, handling, and um, using for advertising. The app industry is vast. To navigate this space, you need a directory to look up suppliers and partners, and you need to know who are the best. Visit our marketplace directory at businessofapps.com slash marketplace slash podcast. And now back to the show. That's not actually it for the podcast because there's a second part. And this is the second part where I get a chance to ask every guest on the show kind of um, quick questions to build a better picture of who they are, to let the audience know my, my people, the people who come to the show a little bit better. Okay, sure. rapid fire, quick, rapid fire, quick questions. I, I, I love rapid fire. It's like speed dating. Let's do it. Oh, all right, let's go. Rock and roll. So, uh, question number one: What smartphone do you have now? Have you been switching between iOS and Android, or just staying one time, one line all the time? I have uh, an iPhone, and I'm pretty, um, I'm pretty loyal to Apple. Okay, uh, well, what about your first mobile phone? Um, I had a flip phone. I had, you know, those Motorola flip phones that, uh, that I actually, oh, that, know, I, that one from the metrics. 
Uh, probably even from before then. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a mobile phone for like 20 years. I've had the same phone number for, for 20 years, 22 years now, maybe even more than that. Gosh. Okay. Uh, back how, to long, the... how long, how long have you had your phone, uh, your phone number? Uh, let's see if that gets to remember, uh, I guess, okay. My iPhone, my first iPhone was back in 2011 or something. Yeah, I guess more than 10 years for sure, uh, the same number. So yeah, I've been yeah, uh, switching from one phone to the other, um, just uh, use the same for WhatsApp, Viber. Yeah. So yeah, my, my phone number kind of uh, <laughs> the oldest, like, uh, yeah, something you're keeping as long as um, you just want to, you, you don't want to change something that people are sort of uh, like, people are looking up for you uh, on, on WhatsApp, uh, thinking yeah. that you have the, the same phone number. Um, same number, same hood. It's all good. Yep. So, okay, get back to present. Uh, so, imagine you've left your home uh, and left your smartphone sitting on your, you know, table. What would be the most missing missing feature for you? Well, the phone itself. You know, being able to 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 call somebody for help uh, or, or or just to reach out. But I, I mean, I, I use my phone mostly as a phone, of course. But uh, but after that, probably one of the maps. Um, I'm, I'm really, really into all the map functionality that, that smartphones provide. Yeah. It looks like maps, even people's radars or radar all the time. Like the most, uh, the bulk of the guests on the show, they do, uh, point out that Google maps is one of the essentials. That's, that's part of why app any recently released report saying that maps was using a smartphone for maps was like uh, reason number five after purchasing you know uh searching and social media so yeah that's one of the essentials i mean what what, what i what i think is really weird is that you know, there's there's two over two million apps in the app store there's probably about 80 apps on an individual's phone these are the averages but you only really use about six six of those apps on any given day which include you know your your email your app your, your email your phone your bank your game some sort of communication device and maybe one other, but that's a crazy funnel, right? To go from 2 million yep. plus to 80 to six, that, that, that's, that kind of really, in my mind, uh, illustrates the challenge that mobile marketers have. Yeah. Cause it's just unavoidable. We're sticking to essentials. We need to communicate with other people. We need to look for information. We need to buy some stuff for our life and we need to, you know, find our way around when we're out to using Google maps or Apple maps. That's just, um, there's no, uh, it's just unavoidable. All right. Uh, and the final quick question would be this. Is there something, you know, could be hardware, software, or both that you would like on your phone to be able to pull off? And right now, it's just not capable of doing that. Um, I think the uh, general speed uh, and just the actual, the core utility of it, just the, the general speed of my phone. I, I have an iOS, uh, excuse me, uh, an iPhone 11. And I, I think it's, um, I'm looking at it now as kind of reminiscing and when it was really, really quick and it's not. So I think that that's probably the, um, the fact that these things go um, obsolete in two years. That, that's one thing that bugs me a lot about it. And that I think that I would be more excited if it didn't, if, if obsolescence wasn't so uh, built into the product. Yeah, that's, that's one of the major issues with smartphones these days. There's a, there's the, this, 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 is, this is the reason why people do, change their phones for the most part like, like every two years or so yeah. because precisely for the same reason like you know today it feels like you know blazingly speedy 
in two years, gosh, I really should think about the new one. My kid has a, an iOS, excuse me, an iPhone 13, and it's like, it can run laps around my phone. So <laughs> Amazing. All right. And before I let you go, just very final question would be this. How can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you do, Brett? Happy to talk to, to everybody out there. Uh, Brett, B-R-E-T-T, at Bango, B-A-N-G-O.com. Brett at Bango.com. Terrific. Thank you for coming and thank you for being on our show, Brett. Bye-bye. Thanks, Art. Bye-bye. All right. And that was Brett Orlansky, SVP Product and Sales at Bango. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. We're list episodes on Mondays, so subscribe and you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review or comment on iTunes. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.